I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. I'm going to start with Romans chapter 5, verse 12 this evening. Romans chapter 5, Paul writing to the church, asserts God's two-man analogy or explanation. Talks about the things that Adam did and the fall that resulted upon the earth and upon mankind. And then he talks about the things that Jesus did to restore us to our original possession. Romans 5.12, wherefore as by one man, talking about Adam in the Garden of Eden, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. I want you to realize that the Bible identifies very specifically that the cause and the origin of sin, sickness, and disease started in the Garden of Eden. I want you to notice it speaks of death passing upon all men. Death came as the, uh, through the entrance of sin. You know as well as I do that sickness is just death in the physical body. And, going, uh, and being unchecked, it can result in physical death. And he says the result of sin is death, which includes physical sickness and infirmity. Since the cause is sin, since the cause of sickness is sin, then that would have to mean that the solution for sickness is contained in the solution for sin. The Bible says in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 28, it identifies 14 different and specific diseases that Moses warned the people would come upon them through if, uh, if they disobeyed God, if they didn't keep the word and obey the word, obey the law of Moses. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 61, it makes an inclusive statement. He makes an inclusive statement. He said also every sickness and every disease not named or mentioned in the previous verses of the chapter, them also will come upon you. In other words, it identifies sickness as a curse. Somebody once said that, that physical that sickness is just the manifestation of sin in physical form. Now, whoever said that is right, of course. But when you say that, you have to make sure that it doesn't isn't interpreted or isn't heard and taken in this context. Just because sickness attacks our body doesn't mean we've sinned. It means Adam sinned. Now, there are occasions, of course, when our own sins create the problem for us. There were several people in Jesus' ministry, and after they received their healing, Jesus said, go and sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. So certainly physical sins, individual sins, can play a part in the role of sickness and disease in the attack of the body. But more than that, the Bible speaks of sin as being a curse, and sickness being a curse of that, a part of that curse of, of the broken law, a part of the curse that came upon mankind. Now, in the Old Testament... It gives us some specific instructions, a a great in-depth history of the atonement that was required of God in order to overlook the sins of the people. You know as well as I do that that, um, the day of atonement was a day of very specific instruction by God to the people so that a, um, a sacrifice was offered, blood was shed to cover the people's sins for a one year period of time, but they had to do it every year. It couldn't be an eternal sacrifice. It couldn't be a one-time sacrifice for all or for all time until Jesus came and fulfilled the law. Now, in Exodus chapter 12, it tells us about when the Passover was instituted. 
And the Passover was very specifically commanded to the people that not just the shedding of blood, the offering of a sacrifice was required, but they were to roast the sacrifice and they were to eat it for their physical strength. So the type, the picture of the Old Testament sacrifice or the Old Testament atonement or literally the Passover was that which Jesus fulfilled. Paul said Christ is our Passover sacrifice for us. Now, when in Exodus chapter 12, when the Passover was instituted, you remember that the circumstances surrounding that were that Moses was telling Pharaoh that God sent him to, tell, to, to say to him to let my people go. And, and Pharaoh relented, uh, but then changed his mind several different times. He was being very stubborn and obstinate in uh, his dealings with the Jews. But finally, there was one final act or miracle which was the death of the firstborn. And the Passover saved the people of Israel from the curse that could have and should have rightly come upon them just as much as the Egyptians. But it was the shedding of blood. It was the Passover. And again, one important element of the Passover that went beyond just the shedding of blood, but they were to eat of the sacrifice for their physical strength, their physical well-being. The psalmist tells us that they came forth with silver and gold and there was not one people among them. Exodus chapter 15 tells us that God identified himself to the people after he healed the waters of Marah, the bitter or maybe even poisonous waters of of Marah. It says that God identified himself as I am the Lord that healeth thee. King James says I am the Lord that healeth thee. But that scripture could just as easily and just as rightly be translated I am the Lord that healed you. And if that was the case, if that is a correct way to translate that verse, then God would, all, uh, would have to be referring back to the healing that took place as a result of the Passover meal so that the scripture was fulfilled. He brought them forth with silver and gold and there was not one feeble or sickly among them. That word feeble means weak or sickly. There was not one. The estimates for the size of the children of Israel or the nation of Israel when they came out of bondage in Egypt, ranges anywhere from 2 to 7 million people. And of the 2 to 7 million people, pick whatever number you want. I don't care if you want to be as conservative as possible to say it was 2 million. That's fine with me. But however, uh, whatever number you choose, between 2 and 7 million people, there was not one sick, weak, weak or sickly person among them. Now, lest you think that was just a one-off situation, The Bible tells us that 765 years later, 765 years later, Hezekiah is king of Israel. And the people have forgotten about God. They've worshipped other idols and other gods and so forth. Hezekiah tore down all the idols that were being worshipped throughout the land of Israel at that time. And he reinstituted the Passover. He didn't even do it in the right month. He did it a month late according to what Israel had been commanded to do. But they were so out of practice and so foreign, the the concept of the the Passover was so foreign to them that Hezekiah just asked the Lord to honor their intent, even though they knew they weren't doing it in the right way. And the Bible specifically says that God honored their sacrifice. He honored the Passover sacrifice. And in the same manner as before, in Exodus chapter 12, he healed the people. Now, it doesn't tell us how many people were healed. 
But there's no way that anybody could have left, been left sick and the statement to be true and he healed their people. It had to mean that everybody was healed. It had to mean that. Do you remember in Luke chapter 4 when Jesus went to his own hometown of Nazareth? He found a place in the, uh, the scrolls, the Old Testament, and stood up to read. And he, he took from the Old Testament what we know of as Isaiah chapter 61, first couple of verses of the chapter. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now that phrase, the acceptable year of the Lord, always refers to the year of Jubilee. Now, the year, the year of Jubilee, it came around once every 50 years. And the year of Jubilee was when everybody's possessions were returned to them. Everybody's possessions were restored unto them. It was a means whereby God could ensure that the people of Israel didn't lose the inheritance that was given to their tribes, their forefathers, after Israel took a hold of the promised land through the leadership of Joshua. And the Bible is very specific It's very careful about how it describes the year of Jubilee and the entrance into the year of Jubilee. First, it was the three-step thing. The first thing was the atonement had to be made. The atonement had to be made. The year of Jubilee always started on the morning after the Passover or after the Day of Atonement, excuse me. The morning after the Day of Atonement where the sins of Israel were were, uh, suspended overlooked for a one-year period of time. The second step for the year of Jubilee was that there was a trumpet that announced that the atonement had been made. The third thing that took place as a part of the year of Jubilee or the, the, um, well, yeah, according to the year of Jubilee, the third thing was that everyone's possessions were restored. Now, Jesus, when he preached that in Nazareth, is putting the year of Jubilee into the church age. He's saying literally, that I am the Messiah. He used messianic verses in Isaiah 61 that we know of as Isaiah 61 to identify that he's the one that was sent for the purpose of instituting the year of Jubilee. That can't happen without an atonement. That can't happen without a trumpet sounding. Well, Jesus himself was the atonement. He died on the cross and offered his blood for our sakes. But then the year, the um, second step, the sounding of the trumpet corresponds to the preaching of the gospel the good news of what jesus has done for us as our substitute and as our sacrifice and in the third step everyone's possessions are restored unto them now folks if sin was the entrance or the open door for sickness and disease to come into the world then the original possession would have to include healing for the physical body sickness came only after adam and eve fell So that clearly shows us that God intended for man to live here on the earth apart from sin, therefore free from sickness. That was God's plan. Adam and Eve messed it up. But God's plan was for his people, his creation, his man, his children to live free and apart from sickness and disease. Now, since God never changes, if that was ever God's plan, it's always God's plan. And that's what Jesus is announcing in Nazareth as recorded in Luke chapter 4. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord, the year of Jubilee. 
The church age is the age of blessing. It's the age where we take hold of that which was our original possession. Well, what was our original possession? Well, before Adam and Eve fell, righteousness was the original possession. That's restored to us through the shedding of Jesus' blood. There was no sickness or disease. There was nothing that could hurt or harm anyone. So divine health, not just healing, but divine health was a part of the original possession. So the year of Jubilee, in other words, the church age, as Jesus recorded it, the church age, the day following the resurrection, the day that we live in, is a day where we can be restored to our original possessions. Righteousness comes through the accepting of Jesus' sacrifice for us, and healing belongs to us because Jesus paid the price for it. The Bible says that Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses, and with his stripes we are healed. He equates the scripture, the Holy Ghost, equates the satisfaction of sin by the shedding of Jesus' blood with the taking upon himself of sickness and disease for our benefit. We were healed by the stripes of Jesus. The good news, the trumpet sounding, is that Jesus paid the price. Jesus paid the price. Now, let me read a little bit further here in in Romans chapter 12. I'll read verse 12 again and then skip down a few. Wherefore, literally since, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, spiritual death and all the attributes of spiritual death, which includes sickness and disease, came through the one sin, the one act of disobedience in the Garden of Eden. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. In other words, when Adam sinned, you sinned. Even though we weren't there, we were in Adam. Now, here's another thought that I want you to get a hold of. The Bible, the reason the Bible equates Adam's uh, action to bring the curse of sin and death upon mankind as compared to Jesus' actions to set man free from the law of sin and death. The reason that death passed upon you is very simple, and it shows us how God sees things, and it will help us understand who we are in Christ, is because you and I, every human being on the earth, every human being that's been born since the time of Adam and Eve, every one of us were in Adam. And so his actions counted for us. In our case, it was a negative result. His disobedience, the consequence of his disobedience, passed upon all of mankind. Well, if that's the way God looks at it, and I understand that we don't, and wouldn't have any way to know that this is the way God looks at it without the scripture that describes it to us. But since that's the way God looks at it, and there's no question about that being true, there's no question about death and the consequences of sin having passed upon all of mankind. None whatsoever. It's without and beyond dispute. So since that's the way God looks at it, that sin and death, we became targets of sin and death because we were in Adam. What do you think it means when the Bible says we're now in Christ? Would we be in Christ to a lesser degree than we were in Adam? This is the point that Paul's trying to make. We'll keep reading. Verse 13, Paul said, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even upon them or over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that is to come. But not as the offense, 
so also is the free gift. For if, since through the offense of one, many be dead, much more. Get a hold of that phrase, much more. It's a real interesting study if you're inclined to do it, to find all the much mores that Jesus talked about, that uh, the Bible talks about, Paul primarily. Jesus on one occasion, but most of them are by Paul. He uses the term or the phrase much more on several occasions. And it literally means this. Much more means one is so far beyond the other that they really shouldn't be compared. It doesn't mean equal, even even amounts or, or something like that. It doesn't mean that one balances the other out. He talks about the offense having brought certain death upon mankind through the curse of the broken law, including sickness and disease. And so he says the offense was not like the solution in this respect. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For since through the offense of one many be dead, much more. The comparison he's going to make is the only way that he can describe it, but it really shouldn't even be compared because it's so far beyond it. Much more. The grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, has abounded unto many. Has abounded unto many. Now here's the good news. Here's the trumpet that's blowing for us. The good news is the restoring power, the restoring nature of Jesus' sacrifice is greater than the certainty, much greater than the certainty that death passed upon all men through Adam's sin. In other words, as surely as you and I were in Adam, and his sin affected us much more, so much more that they really shouldn't be compared. But this was the best explanation Paul could come up with by the Holy Ghost. Much more, they which receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life. Much more. In other words, he's saying healing is much more assured than sickness was by coming through Adam. He's saying that healing is a much greater certainty than the presence of sickness and disease in the earth. If that ever sinks into us, it'll change every one of us. Healing and the restoration to divine health is even more certain than the fact that Adam's sin caused the fall. Let's keep reading. Not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For since through the offense of one, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, has abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification or righteousness. In other words, he's saying, Adam committed one sin, and, that, and because we were in Adam, spiritual death passed upon all mankind. But Jesus' sacrifice was not for one sin, but it was for every sin. And it results, here's the return of, the, our, uh, the return of mankind to his original possession. The result is justification or righteousness. Verse 17, for if, the word if is the word since. For since by one man's offense, death reigned. By one. Now that's a certainty, folks. That's not up for discussion, it's beyond dispute. That's a certainty. 
He says, for since by one man's offense, death reigned by one much more. Here's another comparison that really shouldn't be made because they're not equal. Much more. They which receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. I feel like the Lord wants me to proclaim some things tonight, not try to explain it, not even try to teach it, but to proclaim some things. Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses, and with his stripes you were healed. As far as the Bible is concerned, that's not even up for debate. Our job is not to debate anyway. Our job is to preach or proclaim the reality of what Jesus did. The good news of Jesus is about what's already been done for you. And according to the scripture, Jesus not only took upon himself yours and my sins, as well as the original sin that was committed in the Garden of Eden, but he took your infirmities and bare your sicknesses too. And with his stripes, you were healed. In the example of the day of Jubilee, It means because Jesus shed his blood on the cross and was raised from the dead, the trumpet is now declaring the good news that he paid the price for you and me. So that we, by accepting the same source, the same solution for the sin of man, accepting it as the solution for the sickness that came upon man through spiritual death, the price has been paid. The same price, same source, same solution, same blood. Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses. And with his stripes, you were healed. Folks, that doesn't leave any room for, yeah, but what about? It's an established fact. It's an eternal truth. That Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses and with his stripes you were healed. Not going to be, you were. And just like we take hold of the truth of God's word by faith and believe it in our heart and say it with our mouth. Declare ourselves children of God and therefore become children of God. In the same way we declare ourselves healed by the stripes of Jesus and healing comes. In exactly the same way. See folks when Romans 5.12 says. That death entered the world by sin. It has to mean. Again no room for dispute. It has to mean that the solution for sin. Is the same solution for sickness and disease. And that was the offering of Jesus blood. That's already done. That's already taken place. For us to pray that God would heal us. Is to ignore what's already been done. You know, there's a characteristic of our physical bodies to heal itself. We know that if you cut your finger or something else, something along that line, then your body will heal. And medical science aids the healing power that's in the body. I believe it's because God fashioned our bodies from the earth. I believe that's the reason that healing characteristic is in us. But let's just call that the force of nature. Or the power of nature. Because in every one of us. There is that healing element. It's just built into the physical body. 
Nobody really knows why that is. To be honest with you, it's built into the earth. Remember some years ago when that oil spill took place in the Gulf of Mexico? Everybody was up in arms about how many uh, gallons of oil, thousands or hundreds of thousands, however many gallons of oil were uh, being spewed into the Gulf of Mexico before they could stop the leak and so forth. Do you realize there's no trace of that left anymore? None whatsoever. And it's not because people did such a good job of cleaning it up. They discovered that there was bacteria in the ocean that specifically ate oil. In other words, there's a healing characteristic built into the earth because God created it. I'll go so far as to say it this way. For your consideration, you can agree or disagree as you like. It would be impossible for anything to be created by God and not have a healing or a restorative principle or characteristic in it. Because that's who God is. God can't make anything to be sick. God can't make anything to break. God can't make anything to be faulty or come to an end. Because everything that is the work of God's hands has a bit of the creator in it. I believe that's why the force of nature is present in our bodies to heal us of minor things. Now, bring medical science into the picture. Medical science, either through pharmaceuticals or whatever other means of treatment they have at their disposal, are here to aid the, 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 the force or the power of healing that's in the body, even to the point of surgery. If surgery is called for, then the doctor goes in, the surgeon goes in and removes cancerous tissue, lumps, growths, tumors, whatever the case might be, in order to give the body a chance to heal. And cancer, one of the dreaded diseases of our day, is especially dangerous and difficult for mankind because cancerous cells eat up good cells. And so whether through radiation or again through surgery, medical science goes in and tries to remove that which is causing harm to the body. And their attempt, like through chemotherapy or radiation or something like that, their attempt is to kill only the right cells, the cancerous ones, the ones that are bringing harm to the physical flesh. But even if they take out all the cancerous cells, unless the body is able to still generate that power or force of nature to heal itself. The medical science is certainly limited. What I'm saying is, if the body ever loses that force of nature to heal itself, then there's only one other way to be healed, and that's for the power of God to do what the doctors can't do. Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses and with his stripes we were healed. With his stripes we were healed. Every medication that's ever prescribed to you or me or anybody else is to aid the physical body in that power or force of nature to heal itself. Doctors don't heal. They treat. Most often they're treating symptoms. Now, I'm not down on medical science. Don't get me wrong. I'm not criticizing anybody. Thank God we've got doctors. 
I personally believe that doctors kept a lot of Christians alive long enough to learn how to believe God. But they're simply treating symptoms. A doctor that's honest will tell you that even if he removes cancerous cells or tumors or whatever the case might be, even though he removes that, he doesn't know for certainty that he gets to the origin or the source. And I would submit to you, and some doctors have found this out, the the American Medical Association printed something some years ago that attested to this, but it was a very much a minority report, and so you haven't seen much about it since. But doctors that are honest are very clear and very forthright in saying they don't know what the source of sickness is. If they find something in the body that seems to be their origin, they try to remove it, and thank God they can But Romans 5.12 says the source of sickness and disease is spiritual, not physical. Well, then it would be foolish to expect a solution to a spiritual origin to be physical in nature. If sickness and disease has a spiritual origin, which Romans 5.7 says it does, then the solution has to be spiritual as well. And that's the cross of Jesus. If someone were to accept Jesus as the Lord and Savior tonight, it would be foolish for them to examine their life and see if salvation really took place. In the same way, if somebody receives healing by faith in the finished work of Jesus, the shedding of his blood and his resurrection, then it would be foolish to try to judge whether or not healing took place by looking at the physical body. You know as well as I do that when people get saved, it takes a while to knock off some of those rough edges. It takes a while for them to live past and learn to live beyond the things that they were doing before. Does that mean they're not saved? No, it means they haven't learned to present their body as a living sacrifice and renew their mind to the word. Doesn't discount the supernatural even miraculous nature of what took place on the inside of them, and I'm referring to the new birth. Well, in the same way, why would we judge or attempt to judge whether or not healing took place when it's received by faith as the solution for the problem of sickness and disease in the earth by looking at physical circumstances? But that's exactly what happens so often. People will be prayed for. They say they believe that Jesus took their infirmities and bore their diseases And with his stripes, they were healed. But then they start checking their body to see if anything's different. Now, I don't believe that people intend this. But it doesn't change the fact. Examining your body to determine if healing is for you or the cross of Jesus is sufficient as a solution to provide healing for you. He's calling God's word a liar. Pure and simple. It's saying, I'm not sure if God lied. Let me check and see if he did. No, still hurt. I guess God lied. Now, nobody would say that. Nobody would dare even think that. But that's exactly what happens when we examine the truth of God's word by our physical circumstances. Again, I'm here to proclaim the truth tonight. Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses 
and with his stripes you were healed. Now, folks, whether a Christian ever gets a hold of that or not, it's true. Whether someone ever receives by faith healing for their physical body, the word of God that tells us Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses is absolutely, absolutely true. Absolutely true. Thank God we have the privilege to take hold of it. We have the privilege to accept it just like we accept the good news that Jesus paid the price for our sins. We have the same privilege of accepting both by faith because it was one action on the part of Jesus that performed that. It was the shedding of his blood. Specifically, Jesus was beaten in Pilate's court. The result of that beating was the shedding of his blood. Specifically, the Bible says. Specifically, the Bible says. To provide healing for you. To pay the price for sickness and disease. Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sickness. And with his stripes, you were healed. You were healed. You were healed. That makes faith a a simple proposition then. It makes faith in healing just simply taking hold of by faith without any physical evidence, without waiting to see how you feel or what you look like. Simply taking hold of it by faith is the truth spoken by God. And that's all faith is to receive healing. It's believing God's word is true. Accepting it is a done deal. Accepting it is already accomplished, which it is. Jesus is not going to take one step of action to provide for your healing or mine because he doesn't need to. He already paid the price. The price has been paid. Healing has been secured by his blood. And with his stripes, you were healed. You were healed. Yeah, Pastor Mike, but what about? There's no what abouts. By his stripes, you were healed. Yeah, but I don't understand that. Thank God the word works for people that don't understand. If it didn't, none of us could be born again. Because we don't understand that. We see what the Bible says and we accept it to be true, but we don't know how it works. But our lack of understanding doesn't keep it from being a reality, does it? In the same way, whether we understand or not, by Jesus' stripes, you were healed. By Jesus' stripes, you were healed. By Jesus' stripes, you were healed. Let's all stand up up on our feet, please. I'm going to lead you in a confession. Real simple. We're going to say the same thing a bunch of times. Close your eyes and let your heart agree with this. Don't just say it because I'm saying it. Let it come from your spirit. By Jesus' stripes... I was healed. By Jesus' stripes, 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 I was healed. Now let's say it together. By Jesus' stripes, I was healed. By Jesus' stripes, I was healed. By Jesus' stripes, I was healed. By Jesus' stripes, I was healed.
You've just confessed eternal truth. You've just confessed eternal truth. There's no circumstance, there's no symptom, there's no diagnosis that can change the eternal truth that by Jesus' stripes you were healed. Lord, we bless you. We magnify your name. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for taking upon us, taking upon yourself for us sin, sickness, and poverty. We thank you, Lord, that by your stripes we were healed. By your stripes we were healed. By your stripes we were healed. So we thank you, Lord, that the work's already done. We accept the truth of the word for ourselves. We declare, by your stripes we were healed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Bless your holy name, Lord. Bless your holy name. Thank you for taking our infirmities and bearing our sickness. Because by your stripes we were healed. By your stripes. We were healed. By your stripes, we were healed. I think it'd be a good practice for us to say that 20 or 30 times a day. Just to renew our mind to the truth, the eternal truth, that by Jesus' stripes, we were healed. Not going to be. Don't look for something to happen. Look at what's already happened. By Jesus' stripes, we were healed. Let's say it one more time together. By Jesus' stripes, we were healed. By Jesus' stripes, we were healed. Hallelujah. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for revealing through your word all that belongs to us through the work of Jesus. We thank you, Lord. By Jesus' stripes, we were healed. Hallelujah. 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 Blessed be the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Lord, we bless you. We magnify your name. We worship you. For your goodness and your mercy unto us. Lord, it's so good to be healed. Thank you for your healing power. The healing power of your word. The healing power of our confession of your word. That drives away every trace of every symptom of sickness and disease from our bodies. In Jesus' name. All right, one more time. By his stripes, I was healed. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.